the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. And this is such an important show. We're so excited. First two things I have to do. Once again, thank you, thank you, all of you listeners, all of you that email, all of you that listen to the archives. You have made this show in the top one or two consistently on Voice America. That's because of the dedication you have to quality of life for people with disabilities. So, couldn't do it without you, and I always want you to know, I mean it. It really means a lot to me. Now, I have to give a special congratulations to the new Secretary of Labor, Secretary Solis. Congratulations. Welcome to the Obama administration and to the Federal Department of Labor. I have no doubt in my mind that you will work to help Americans with disabilities be included, and we're very excited to have you as the Secretary. I wanted to congratulate you. Also, on the show today, we have special guest from the Federal Department of Labor. First, we have Dr. Richard Horn, who is the Senior Advisor at the Office of Disability Employment Policy, with the United States Department of Labor, and Terry McMiniman, an economist from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And you know what? This just shows the dedication of the Department of Labor to their commitment to people with disabilities. Uh, Richard and Terry, we are so, so very excited and honored to have you as guests on our show today to talk about the new numbers released from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and I'm going to start with Richard. Uh, Richard, for our listeners throughout the world, I wonder if you could start first by telling everyone how you first became involved with working in the disability area. Well, good afternoon, Joyce. Let me just start off by saying what a pleasure it is to be able to join you today um, from the Department of Labor. Um, I've been actually involved in this field for uh, many, many years and first began my career as a special education teacher in the uh, Montgomery County, Maryland public schools. But I really began my involvement in the area of disability as a family member. I had a brother, an older brother, who had a significant learning disability, and the way that they accommodated his disability back in the late 60s was to retain him uh, in grade. Oh. Hold on. Oh, terrible. Terrible. Well, you know what? Nothing makes an impact on you like having a family member with a disability. Absolutely. Yes. Now, Richard, you work for the Office of Disability Employment Policy for the United States Department of Labor as a senior advisor. So maybe you can also explain what does that mean? Sure. The Office of Disability Employment Policy was authorized by Congress in the Department of Labor's 2001 appropriation. Congress recognized the need at that time for a national policy to ensure that people with disabilities are fully integrated into the 21st century workforce. 
uh, authority was delegated and assigned uh, responsibility to an assistant secretary for disability employment policy. So ODEP is a sub-cabinet level policy agency within the Department of Labor. Our mission is to provide national leadership on disability employment policy by developing and influencing the use of evidence-based disability employment policies and practices, building collaborative partnerships, and delivering authoritative and credible data on the employment of people with disabilities. We essentially envision a world in which people with disabilities have unlimited employment opportunities. Okay, and you know, for those of you listening to the show, Remember, there was many years ago this federal agency called the President's Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities. I actually was on that board, and at that time the chairman was Tony Quello, and this was during the Clinton administration. But then at the end of the Clinton administration, they moved all of this to be part of the Federal Department of Labor so that there would all, you know, be an arm of the Department of Labor that supports Americans with disabilities. Um, and this is the Office of Disability Employment Policy. And I have been involved with them for years. They've done so many great things to help people. I mean, when I first got involved with that President's Committee, I just was overwhelmed from the beginning, and they have continued m moving forward. Uh, Terry, how about you now? You're with the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, and does everyone, like, drive you crazy when you tell them you're an economist? Well, uh, yeah, a lot of people want me to tell them what that means, and it's, uh, it's a little bit difficult to, to tell them that, Dr. Uh, Joyce. I'm not well, sure what uh, the correct answer is about that. Well, that's what I mean. Does everyone go up to you and say, oh, you're an economist, tell us what's going to happen? Uh, when's the economy turning around? Does everyone drive you crazy like that? Yes, uh, you know, the, the word economist doesn't necessarily mean that you know everything that there is to know about the economy, and that's uh, it's a difficult thing to explain to people that there's uh, uh, a limited amount of uh, knowledge that I can have just as uh, someone employed as an economist for the government. Right. Well, how, how long have you been with the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics? And that is part of the Department of Labor, correct? Yes, it is. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics... Um, is a part of the Department of Labor. I've been working here since 2000, and I've been working uh, virtually the entire time on this um, project that, that we'll, we'll be talking about today, the uh, um, effort to um, add disability questions to the current population survey. Okay, good. Well, as you've already indicated, and for those of you listening, let's start here. This is the first time ever ever, ever, the statistics were released for Americans with disabilities in the area of employment or unemployment. Uh, in other words, that wasn't a part. That was never part. But now it is. So maybe you, you or Richard or both of you can comment on this. Why do you think Americans with disabilities have never been included? I mean, it seems unusual when there's 54 million Americans with disabilities. Well, <clears throat> Joyce, this is Richard. Um, there had been data available for some time in many other from other survey sources, but this was the first official monthly employment data that were available in the current population survey, which is the monthly household survey, uh, probably best known for providing the official unemployment rate. You can't read a news story or, or hear a news report um, without some mention of the official unemployment rate. And this effort 
have taken many years of work because there were a number of issues and factors that had to be evaluated before the data could be calculated on a regular basis. First issue was that disability is a difficult concept to define, as we all know. And by extension, it's very, it's not easily measured. So we had a testing process that had to focus on developing questions that would provide an accurate measure, but at the same time, to do so with few questions. Using more questions would make um, measuring disability easier, but might cause a, more of a burden for the survey respondents and might cause them to refuse to continue to participate in the current population survey. We also had to uh, undertake many years of effort to secure funding for the testing process, as well as the ongoing cost of asking these questions every month that had to be addressed. But I think that the, the real challenge is, um, is having an, a monthly uh, report of the unemployment rate, and that just took us some time to, to, uh, to accomplish. Terry? Yes, the, uh, the, the, the important concept here is that um, we are now able to compare direct, uh, directly the uh, data that we collect for people with disabilities to the data that we collect for everyone else. Um, the concept of unemployment that um, had been circulated before uh, with the data that had been collected for people with disabilities was collected in a various, various different surveys and maybe the census as well. But none of these were the data that people were used to hearing every month um, that came out from the current population survey. And so without being able to directly compare those data, it's, it's really difficult to tell whether the people with disabilities um, were doing better, worse, or, or the same as, as other people without disabilities. Yeah, and, and so those are that's very interesting. I never thought of the one thing you said, Richard, that it also would take funding to do this. But no matter what the reason is it took so long, we are happy to be included because, you know, as a woman with epilepsy, the only way we can all be included is if everything is equal, including doing a census. So, you know, I'm, I, we are all very happy to hear about that. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I wanted to ask you, Richard, um, what do you think made this happen? Why do you think... Americans with disabilities were finally included. Do you also think it could be due to the civil rights efforts of people in the community? Well, certainly the community was behind all of these efforts to develop and test these questions. The initiative um, that led to the release of data on February 6th was a was accumulation of the efforts that can be tracked back to an executive order signed in 1998 by then-President Clinton to address the issues involved the employment of adults with disabilities. It was called the Presidential Task Force on the Employment of Adults with Disabilities, and I had the pleasure to serve as the um, Deputy Director for Policy on the task force. The executive order specifically mandated that through the task force, the BLS, the Census Bureau, and other measurement agencies work together to field questions that would yield to a reliable and valid unemployment rate for people with disabilities and that that rate be published as regularly as possible. So we decided to work with the BLS through the current population survey and to set the goal that we would have monthly release of the unemployment data for people with disabilities just as we have for anyone else. And it was important that, that, that this data for people with disabilities be included in the official Department of Labor statistics that come out every month. So right. having, yeah. having the measure, <clears throat> having this measure of success or difficulty in the labor market, number one, it's an important way to evaluate what our folks need. 
it's timely and detailed. That's the a real important point um, because this will allow us to analyze changes in the labor market and experiences over time. It's going to help us, um, again, uh, guide public policy um, uh, to help people with disabilities increase their employment opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, and Terry, a question that we have from a Mary in Cincinnati is, in reference to the recent survey that was completed from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, how were the questions developed, the questions that relate to disability? How were they developed? Well, the questions that, we, that we've included in the um, current population survey to identify persons with disabilities, it's a, six, uh, a set of six questions, and these questions were developed um, through an interagency effort to um, change the questions which were identified which were included in the American Community Survey. The American Community Survey, is, uh, it, it was commonly known as the long form of the census until the uh, 2000 census, and shortly, shortly thereafter it became an annual survey. Now, the American Community Survey originally used the same questions that were um, used in the census to identify those with disabilities, but um, there were flaws with those questions that had been recognized for some time, and so this interagency group um, came together to devise some questions which could replace those and, and identify persons with disabilities more accurately. Uh, there was a, an effort by, um, that, re that Richard referred to um, by the Dis uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics and other agencies as well at the same time to devise questions that could be added to the current population survey to identify um, persons with disabilities. Both surveys wanted to use a, a short set of questions because um, there are a lot, of be, a lot of things being done with both surveys and the respondent burden becomes very high when you ask a lot of questions. And so a, as a result, to make a long story short, the, uh, the questions that were des designed for the American Community Survey uh, were adopted into the current population survey for a number of reasons. And uh, um, among those was the idea that we'd, we'd like to try to um, bring the statistical efforts to, to uh, do things like identify certain groups, such as people with disabilities, in, into a, a more unified process. And so using the same questions in different surveys um, helps to advance that. And so when we, uh, when we made that decision, it was actually uh, a little bit over a year ago we made that decision to adopt the ACS questions. Um, we moved as quickly as we could and got those questions into the current population survey. Um, they were changed slightly, but they're, they're virtually the same as, as uh, the ones used in the American Community Survey. And um, we just, this uh, past January, were for the first time able to um, publish the data based on those questions. All right. Well, that was a good question. And always feel free, email or call in. But right now... We're going to get ready to go to break. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Dr. Richard Horn from the Office of Disability Employment Policy and Terry McMiniman from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Okay, we'll be right back. Ring! Really? 
Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again. 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back to the show, and we have as our guest Dr. Richard Horn, Senior Advisor for the Office of Disability Employment Policy, and Terry McMiniman, Economist for the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is a show, by the way, tell your friends you know, the show is always archived. It's archived on Voice America and at BenderConsult.com. So if you want to use this as a teaching lesson or it's something at your school, you will be able to get that and use it at any time. And, you know, right before we went to break, we had a great question from one of our listeners about how were the questions, how did they come about, uh, which Terry answered very well. But I think, Richard, do you have the questions? Yes, or I do. Okay. Do you want, why don't we read those questions? Uh, and Richard offered to do this, which I think is great because we want to make sure that you understand this whole process. Go ahead, Richard. Sure. The, <clears throat> the lead into the questions are, this month we want to learn more about people who have physical, mental, or emotional conditions that cause serious difficulty with their daily activities. Please answer for household members who are 15 years or older. Question number one, is anyone deaf or does anyone have serious difficulty hearing? Number two, Is anyone blind, or does anyone have serious difficulty seeing, even when wearing glasses? Number three, because of a physical, mental, or emotional condition, does anyone have serious difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions? Number four, does anyone have serious difficulty walking or climbing stairs? Number five, does anyone have difficulty dressing or bathing? And finally, number six, because of a physical, mental, or emotional condition, does anyone have difficulty doing errands alone? such as visiting a doctor's office or shopping. Those are the six questions. Okay. And you were mentioning it's not specific to a disability, um, which you can see that because what I'm, I'm noticing is that would not specifically, for example, seem like it would cover epilepsy. Uh, correct. The questions are not designed to um, 
to get data on any specific disability. It's the set of six questions that form the construct, if you will, as I was talking earlier about the definition of disability. So, <clears throat> so um, the uh, department, um, you know, will be just reporting the results um, a, as an aggregate set. We will not be breaking it apart and just, you know, showing trends for question one or question two, although we do expect researchers outside of the government to do that, but we don't encourage that. Right. So you know what, you all understand what he means. It's not specific like to, uh, epilepsy, learning disability, cerebral palsy, or whatever. They are general questions. But we have a caller on the line. I think we have Ross on the line. From Arkansas, Ross, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Do you have a question, Ross? Yes, I was wondering if you were going to get more specific in uh, defining disabilities. I work uh, particularly with developmentally disabled individuals, and I don't know that the general public, when answering questions about disabilities, can uh, differentiate or knows whether they're talking about uh, closed head injury, uh, developmental disability, so, such as autism, epilepsy, mental retardation, or whether you had an accident on the job and you lost your arm and that's why you can't work, or is that going to be involved? Is that going to, you're going to be talking about that? Yes, we are going to be talking about that, but Ross, that was a very good question. Um, in, in your meaning, this comes back to that definition of disability and also people understanding disability because today, when we say intellectual disability, that today usually means a cognitive disability or, as you said, uh, someone with uh, traumatic brain injury where it has impacted them to that degree or Down syndrome, something of that nature. But that's an excellent question. Ross, what do you do, may I ask? I'm the director of a community rehabilitation program. In Arkansas? In Arkansas, yes. Okay, well, you know what? We appreciate what you're doing because we need everyone during these times working together. Well, we thank you very much, and I'm very interested in your program. All right. Well, I appreciate you calling in. We're going to go and answer that question for you as soon as you hang up, but you keep listening to this show, and we'll keep supporting you, Ross. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Um, Do you have an answer for that, Terry, what you would say to Ross? Yes. um, Actually, we get that question quite frequently here. So (laughs) um, the, uh, the, the, the... Best answer for uh, for for that question is that the current population survey really isn't designed, and and it's not uh, an appropriate survey to be used to identify people with specific disabilities. As as Richard uh, mentioned earlier, um, these questions are designed to work as a set. A lot of the questions are are more general questions that would hopefully capture several several different types of disabilities with each question. Sometimes um, in our testing process, we've seen that. Um, people with one condition will say yes to several different que- questions because it causes them difficulties in different areas. And so using one question to identify people with a specific type of disability isn't, isn't the best way to do so. Um, there, are, there are plenty of surveys that already exist that, that are able to ask extensive questions which try to get at um, uh, identifying people with specific types of disabilities, um, National Health Interview Survey or the uh, Survey of Income and Participation and uh, um, the Survey of Income and Program Participation from the U.S. Census Bureau are, are two examples. They, they're able to ask extensive um, and long sets of questions specifically about disabilities, and these, these get... Um, much more detailed and are able to identify people with specific disabilities a lot better than something like the current population survey, which only asks six questions. 
Right. That's right. Um, and I want to say, you know, I've never met the gentleman that called him Ross Parker uh, from Arkansas, but I can hear that passion in your voice. And I just want to tell you that that's what we need. We need people that care about these things because if we all work together, we really can make change, which takes me to my question here, uh, Richard and Terry. As you both know, I am all about employment. That is me. I am all about employment for people with disabilities. I think there's a misconception by many that they are only looking at, when they're looking at this 13.2% unemployment rate. I'm not sure everyone understands what that means. So could one of you explain what what that is or how that was calculated? I'll let the economist take that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'll uh, see what I can do, Joyce. Um, And, uh, yeah, you're referring to the the data that came out for uh, January 2009 from the current population survey. Um, 13.2% of those persons uh, we identified through that survey as having a disability um, were unemployed. Uh, this this compares with uh, 8.3% for persons with no disability. Um, and, of course, these these uh, data are not seasonally adjusted. Um, that's that's something that um, we'll just, we might be able to discuss a little bit later. But um, these, these numbers are calculated. Um, the unemployment rate itself is calculated by taking the persons who are identified within the CPS as being unemployed um, and then dividing that by the total number who are within the labor force altogether, the labor force um, being com- comprised of those who are employed and those who are unemployed. Now, there's a third group that we identify in the, in the current population survey, and that's the uh, persons who are not in the labor force at all. The, uh, the differences between these are, are they, they may seem um, obvious, but uh, those persons with, with em- who are counted as employed, obviously they have jobs, um, and there's a certain way that we employ or we um, can identify people as being employed there. They work for um, an employer who pays them for the work that they do, or they work for a family business um, and are not paid, but they work at least 15 hours a week. Then we have people who are unemployed. These are people who are actively searching for jobs and have been searching uh, within the last four weeks before the, before the survey. And then persons who are not in the labor force are identified in, in with several other questions, but effectively those persons aren't actively looking for work at the time of the, um, directly before the survey. So if you listen very carefully to what Terry just explained, you are not part of this unemployment rate if, in fact, you've never been employed and you did, were not rated as going for unemployment. In other words, if you've never had a job, you've never been employed. Uh, what do you call that? The group that's uh, the group that you didn't see. What is there a name for that? Actually, um, Joyce, the uh, I think you're referring to the persons who are not in the labor force. Yes. Um, in in order to be counted as not in the labor force, uh, those people could be uh, people who did have jobs in the past, or people that never have had jobs in the past. The the key to the to being in, not in the labor force is that you are not um, that you are not actively looking for work in the last four weeks before the survey. Right, and how do you know when someone is looking for work? Well, it's based on questions that are that are asked of these people within the survey. Um, we ask them if they have been looking for work, and if they say that they have, we ask them in 
what type of um, efforts they've been making, such as, for for example, uh, calling relatives to see if they if they have um, job opportunities for them, looking in the paper, um, searching online, or perhaps um, making phone calls to different companies, sending out resumes. These are these are examples of active um, searches for work. Um, they're they're um, people who have been searching for work, but they haven't been doing so within the last four weeks. Those people would be counted as not in the labor force, but we also have ways to measure those people. So even those who aren't in the labor force, we can we can measure the attachment that they have towards the labor force. Um, we have um, a different category that we count. It's called it's called the uh, people who are um, marginally attached to the labor force. Uh, these people who are um, like I said, looking for work, but they weren't looking for work within the last four weeks, but they were at some point during the last year, and they're available for work now, they may have certain reasons that they're not looking for work. We're able to look at those types of things. So, for example, now that we have people with, um, we are able to identify people with disabilities in the current population survey, we can take a look at some of these people who aren't in the labor force and, and say, all right, well, some of these people are not in the labor force because they're having difficulties that discourage them from working or from looking for work because they, maybe they found that they don't they don't have any opportunities in their area. And I, I'm hoping you're listening very carefully to this because I've noticed so many people don't understand what that unemployment rate means. And sadly, if if more monies come with, from our new administration for uh, ODEP or for any other groups working on employment, here's where our monies need to go. We have this huge group of people who are not working, and they are not. And some of them did give up looking for employment, or some of them do not know how to find employment. And that is the question that we need to get resolved. That's what we have to find out, and I think that is so critical, and I'm really glad you explained that so well, uh, Terry, and I, I just think that's so important because our goal, remember, justice for all, everyone working. We're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be right back if you just joined us. We're talking to Dr. Richard Horn, Senior Advisor for the Office of Disability Employment Policy, and Terry McMiniman, Economist at the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. We're going to go to break, but we'll be right back with both of them to find out what's going on with people with disabilities at voiceamerica.com. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and 1 in 10 Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. 
Over there? Over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at pornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We have Dr. Richard Horn, Senior Advisor for the Office of Disability Employment Policy, the United States Department of Labor, and Terry McMenamin, Economist for the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, also a part of the United States Department of Labor. I just want to mention, I was telling Richard and Terry when we went to break, how I see all these high school students who have been bullied for, for all through school, all after school, and you know some people are so beaten down and so discriminated against they almost give up. And that's why we need to find out more about this number. Richard, do you have any What is the number of people that, that were not in that labor force? In the release from January of 2009, the number of Americans with disabilities um, 16 years and over who were not in the labor force was 20.6 million people. Oh, my God. Very that, large that is, That's terrible. <clears throat> that, so, that is a tragedy right there. So we really need to, we need to understand more about this over time. We need to look at it more over time, and we will certainly be doing that. But uh, we do need to... to come up with some creative um, efforts to uh, return people to even starting to look for work and knowing how to look for work and having the skills necessary for employment and, and the determination to do that. And we know that there are millions of Americans with disabilities who have that determination. We just need to partner with, with them and with, with our employers to make that happen. Now you heard what he said? If you're listening to the show, I don't care if you're a young person with a disability or an adult with a disability, what do I tell you now? Don't wait for someone to save you. It isn't going to happen. No one's going to come to that door and say, here you go, we're going to hire you. You have to be that change. You have to make it happen, and you can make it happen. Don't give up. Get out there. Look for a job. You can do it. You know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, Richard, is with that 38.5% labor force, participation rate for men aged 16 to 65 percent. This suggested that 61.5 percent are not in the labor force. Do you think possibly then it is what we just said? Do you think it's possibly due to people giving up? Do you you think that's what it could be? 
I, I couldn't say for sure what it is because, you know, again, we, we have only had, you know, from October to January's worth of data. So we need, we need to really look at this, this, this issue again, um, you know, and, and, to, and it's going to take, you know, not only uh, the federal government but researchers and, and, and many other folks to, be, to better gain an understanding of the labor market attachment of, 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 of people with disabilities, particularly men with disabilities. There could be, there could be many reasons for this, but I I wouldn't speculate now on any particular one, but I would encourage people to continue watching this over the next, um, you know, the next year, the next couple of years, as, as we begin to do more research into the whys. Uh, but at this point, we really don't know. We just know what the numbers are. And you know what I'm saying, Terry? Just as Richard said, there could be so many factors. There could be discrimination. There can be giving up. So beaten down, you're giving up. But there can also be not knowing the process of what to go through or working with the wrong sources. Just as Richard said, there could be so many different factors, but I really encourage everyone listening to this show, especially in the government, this is so important. We really need to support uh, finding this out, you know, the project, the research, the funding, to find out what is going on because that is just too huge of a number of people who are not working. One other thing, uh, Terry and Richard, I noticed the massive jump of unemployment for men with disabilities from 14.2% to 17.2%. What do you think that means? Well, uh, Joyce, that was, an, uh, that was a significant increase in the uh, portion of uh, men aged 16 to 64 uh, with a disability. It went from 142 uh, like you said, uh, 14.2 percent in December of 2008, up to 17.0 percent in uh, January 2009. Now that, uh, and, and like I said earlier, these are not seasonally adjusted numbers. This com- this compares to uh, the the increase in pe- the portion of men of that age uh, with no disability from 8 percent in December to 9.6 percent in January. Um, regardless of uh, whether we look at this data for December or January, the unemployment rate for men with a disability within this age group is higher than that for men with no disability. I think that's the most important thing that we can see from these data is that it's obvious that people with a disability have, um, it, it at least measured by the unemployment rate that they see, uh, more difficulty within the labor force than people without a disability. Now, the fact that these data are not seasonally adjusted, like I mentioned before, that's important to note when we talk about evaluating month-to-month changes because a normal seasonal change can't be disentangled from the changes that are due to the underlying economic conditions. As we all know, the, the economies, um, well, we're seeing some difficult times right now. And at the same time, there are normal seasonal changes that happen each year, and Sometimes those those seasonal changes can can hide some of the things that are happening simply due to the um, the way the economy is right now, and so without being able to take to to seasonally adjust these data, um, we're we're not able to subtract the the seasonal changes and see only what's going on due to what's going on with the economy right now. It'll take a few years um, of collecting these data before we will be able to seasonally adjust these data, but when we when we compare these data, even when they're not seasonally adjusted, uh, we can see that 
not only is it a significant increase in the unemployment rate for both uh, those men of this age group with and without disabilities, but we see that a comparison between these two groups shows that the proportion wasn't wasn't uh, abs- wasn't actually uh, significantly different between the two groups, and so it's as we as we um, as I pointed out a minute ago the economy obviously is is going through some difficult times right now. These two groups seem to be um, affected in in, in a very um, uh, strong way, uh, but not significantly different from each other right now. One of the things that that Richard was saying earlier is that it's very important that now that we have these data in in the current population survey, we'll be able to collect these data every month from, from this point forward. And the more data we have, the more we'll know about what's going on with the with the, the disability community. Good, that's good. I think I think uh, I think we have a caller on the line. Mike, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, we have a uh, Mike McGrant from Tennessee calling in. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing good. Good, Mike. Hey, thank you for calling in to the show. What do you do, Mike? Uh, I work for Computer Sciences Corporation. Oh, yeah. Well, I know that company very well, Mike. So do I. (laughs) Yes. Okay, go ahead. Do you have a question? Uh, Yes. I had a comment about, you know, why people are possibly not working. Uh, I think a lot of it sometimes has to do also uh, with the fear of losing any kind of uh, government benefits, uh, such as Medicare and Medicaid. Um, I think that is absolutely correct. I I think that what you're meaning is sometimes the person uh, is afraid if they accept accept employment, (laughs) they are afraid that either, A, it will take too long to receive Medicare, or, B, the benefits that they will receive would not be able to take care of their significant disability. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, like in my case, like I work and I need uh, any personal care attendants, Mm -hmm. and as you know, they're very expensive, and... You know, I don't really make enough to pay for all the care I need, but I make too much money to get any kind of assistance. So it puts me in a dilemma, you know, do you work or do you not work? Yeah, well, Mike, I, I have... The answer to that is you work, you know, and, yeah. and things are definitely better when you work. Um, but it's, it's just, a... it can just be a little frustrating sometimes. Well, Mike, I have good news for you. There are people in the federal government that are working on that issue. Great. Right now as we speak. Good, and um, and I, I just want to say that, you know, the president has made a commitment in reference to the employment of people with disabilities, but there are disability groups aware of that situation that I've talked to, and they are working on that right now. But see, just as the president says, we need, whether it's the Office of Disability Employment Policy, no matter who it is, we, we do need to hear from you. Because the more more suggestions and information we receive, such as what you're telling us, then we can move forward with that. So, and I do want to give you credit for that, uh, Mike. And being, I know you're always you're a big part of the disability community, and always worried about also what would happen to other people with disabilities. So, thank you very much for calling in. Sure, thanks. Keep it up. My call. Okay. 
Uh, Richard, do you know what he's referring to? Oh, certainly we do. Um, sometimes I alluded to one, you know, uh, people's expectations about work, both uh, folks within individuals with disabilities, family members, and the service providers that, 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 that serve the community. Um, I think we have to have the expectation that everyone is able to work. Um, Kind of what I, when I was listening to him, I, I kind of felt like um, what we know about reasonable accommodations and costs. When we talk to employers about that, um, it's not the actual cost that's the issue. It's not knowing the cost. And so I guess for me, it's it's not knowing um, it's it, you know work or not work. I think there are a lot of factors that play into it when people with disabilities begin thinking about benefits and, and those kinds of things. And that's that's where they that's where the process is so important in terms of who they're talking to, who they're getting support from. Are they talking to benefits planners? Because I, I I've seen evidence that you know when you know exactly what the costs and benefits are going to be, you can make better employment decisions. And so I really encourage people to get over that initial fear about not knowing, find out, and then. Make your plan. Yes. Great advice. Great advice. Um, and I did want to ask this next question, which I know Secretary Solis will be all over this, but it is about the differences in the unemployment rate for minorities with disabilities. Can you talk about that, Richard? Well, again, I think, I think as, you know, th- these statistics as well as any labor force data, you know, um, you know, are are available now on a monthly basis for disability status, any any other demographics such as age, sex, race, ethnicity, et cetera. It's still going to take time, as Terry was talking about earlier, to really study this data in order to develop a better understanding of what the, the data is telling us, particularly about minorities with disabilities. But this certainly is going to be of great interest here at the Department of Labor. Um, and, and again, as Terry said, we, 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 know that, we know the numbers now, but we don't know what's underneath them. It's going to take time for us to study that. But it's an excellent point, Joyce, to bring up because it is very, very important. And I truly believe will be an important priority as we move forward here at the Department of Labor. Terry? Yes, because this was very obvious from the... Um, information that you correct, cannot, yeah, right. and you see them, and you see the numbers, and you see the difference, and you want to know what that's about. Uh, we just need we need to do more. We need to. This will keep economists employed forever, Joyce. <laughs> you know, we're just going to need to study this over time, and we we are committed to doing that. And I know our through our great partnership with the BLS and uh, with the work that I, I'm honored to do with Terry, I know that we are going to carry this forward. Terry and Terry, did you want to comment on that? Yeah, um, one of the, one other thing that I want to point out is that um, the uh, although there are um, a large number of people with disabilities in the United States, the population of persons with disabilities is is, is obviously a smaller number than the total of, of people in the in the United States. And so, once you take that smaller group and then break that down into even a smaller group by saying, "All right, well, we're going to subdivide that into people with um, different." Uh, um, races or or ethnicities, then then what you're doing is you're you're making the data much smaller. And when we're de- when we're dealing with a um, a survey and survey data like uh, we get from the current population survey, those data become um, less significant. And since we've just started um, collecting these data, we we don't know enough about the data to know um, how. Um, how much confidence we can have in the data that come out once we get those smaller populations. And as Richard was saying, you know, the longer we get to um, study these data, the more we'll know about, um, you know, how significant and how much um, information we can get from them. But without without um, 
being able to have some time to take a look at these uh, data, we won't be able to tell you right now whether once we break the uh, disability community down into um, the various races that that make up that community, um, will we be able to say, you know, stand behind the data and say that this is a, a significant, um, you know, number that we that we feel confident in uh, right now. Uh, we need we need a little bit of time to study the data to tell a little bit more about it before we can do that. Well, we'll be having both of you back on, so you can tell us, you know, a year from now or at the end of the year how things have been going. But I want to say that I want to tell you I'm going to be the chairman of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation this May, and I'm so honored to be doing them. So excited, um, and when I take over in that position, you know, there are three million Americans known who have epilepsy, but it is unbelievable to me how many people we meet from different minority groups uh, with epilepsy, you know, who are not employed. And we have started at the Epilepsy Foundation an African-American community initiative that Denise Peace is heading up uh, from the New York Controller's Office, but we also have a Hispanic community where we have printed everything in Spanish for the Hispanic community, and I really think that will be a big thing as we move forward. But just as you said, you just got started. I mean, this was January, right? Isn't that when these statistics came out? Correct. Right. Yes. Okay, well, these last two questions are the hardest two questions, I have to tell you, both of you that right now. I ask everyone, but they're still the hardest two questions. So, Richard, I'm going to start with you. Now, you've done so much at ODEP, so many great things, so many accomplishments in your life. My question to you is, what do you consider your proudest accomplishment? I have been committed to, um, to this field and to people with disabilities. It's been not necessarily a career but an avocation for me. And, and so I have just been so blessed to do a job that I love to do in many different facets over many, many different years, whether, whether it was teaching or, or working as a congressional aide on the Hill, um, uh, working on the President's Task Force, um, and, and of course this important work that I'm doing at ODEP. But the accomplishment to me is, is to see people getting employed, to see children getting educated, uh, to see lives improving for people with disabilities so that they're completely included in the mainstream of our society. So for me, this is a passion, and, and it's just an honor to be able to do this work. I enjoy it every day. Um, it's, it's fascinating, it's interesting, but it, it, also, it also fills a passion for me and I, and, and I truly hope um, uh, makes a difference for Americans uh, with disabilities. Oh, believe me, employment makes all the difference in the world. Um, I know what you mean because employment is what gives us dignity. Employment is what gives us respect like everyone else. Now, how about you, Terry? You've, you also have many accomplishments in your career. What, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment? Uh, within my career, uh, I would say uh, so far the, the biggest accomplishment that I've been associated with is, is what we're talking about right now. Um, the uh, publication of these data was, was the culmination of a lot of work. I'm very, I'm very happy to say that I was associated with the, the many agencies and the, and the many uh, very uh, important and and, um, and very influential people that that put a lot of hard work into putting these uh, putting these questions into the current population survey and getting these data out. Uh, like like we said before, um, it's it's kind of amazing to think that 
the current population survey, which has been going since um, the 40s, um, just to, just this uh, year for the first time ever has been able to um, provide employment data for people with disabilities. It's it's kind of a, a shocking thing to to uh, be to be able to uh, say that this is the first time, but it's it's a great thing that that's that that's finally been done. Oh, you're not kidding on both fronts. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I mentioned I'm going to be the chairman of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation. One of the former chairs uh, is Tony Quello, who was also the chair of the President's Committee in the past and also worked on the ADA Amendments Act very recently with uh, bipartisan support on both sides. And I can't begin to tell you how thrilled he was that this happened. I mean, this was such a big thing to him that this happened. That well, he was also co-chair of the president's task force too. Same time. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. right. Yes. When, whenever you were he, on, Richard, he was, that's yes, right. he was very involved with this at a very early stage. Yeah. Well, he was. Which is always important to have a champion. That people with disabilities were included on this. Oh, he was. And but many people were on. Oh, again, yeah. total bipartisan support. You know, people from the Republican and Democrat side of the house. We're so excited about this. So I believe, you know, when we're doing something like this, we can really make progress. But, Richard, what message would you like to leave for our listeners today? Well, I want folks to stay tuned. I want folks to know that um, within the Department of Labor and within the generic economic messages that we're putting out about this country, people with disabilities matter. People with disabilities count. And I think we have to watch these numbers. I think we have to look at these numbers. But we have to get beyond the numbers to to ensure that opportunities for people with disabilities are increased for their employment, for their participation in the community, for their economic well-being, and that they're part of that fabric that we call America. And how about and what a great message? How about you, Terry? Um, well, I tell you the truth, Joyce. I hadn't thought much about that, but. Uh, um, my message that I'd like to say is that um, we, we uh, you know, a lot of times people with disabilities um, think that the, that the government doesn't care about them, but, but truthfully, uh, there are a lot of people with disabilities in the government working and, and trying to influence the, the, uh, the government to acknowledge the things that happen with, um, with the people with disabilities and the, and the concerns that they have in their lives. I, w I want people with disabilities to, re to recognize that, yes, you do have a voice in the government, and we, we do care about what happens with you. And the current population survey is just, is just one survey, but there are a lot of different efforts out there, and, and, and hopefully we'll be able to address a lot of the different issues that are, that are um, causing people with disabilities problems within the labor force and, and get them get them out there and get them working if they want to if they want to be out in the workforce, which always seems to be such a positive thing for people with disabilities to do. Well what a great message from both of you. First I want to say before we go, you know, I want to thank both of you. Uh, think about this now they are both with the United States Federal Department of Labor and took time to be on the show just to explain this to everyone, Richard, Dr. Horn, thank you so much, and Terry, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Yeah, we'll be having you back again. But you know what? Before we close the show, we always end with a quote from a famous civil rights leader. But today it is from President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who said, 
The only thing to fear is fear itself. And that, folks, is why you're going to get out there and look for a job. You have been listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.